Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, hosts Andrea Kilstedt and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of the Capital Campaign Toolkit, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. The Capital Campaign Toolkit is a support system for nonprofit leaders who are running capital campaigns. At CapitalCampaignToolkit.com, you can download a step-by-step guide for your capital campaign and get many other free resources. Here are your hosts, Amy and Andrea. Welcome to our podcast uh, audience and everybody else. Our special guest today is Joe Tumalo. Joe has been in the plan giving business for about 18 years. That's a good long time, Joe. 10 of those have been as a consultant, and you both help people build plan giving programs. And you actually work for organizations to make sure those programs, some of those programs, continue to be successful. So you both, you both teach them how to do it, and you actually do it. You've learned a bunch of stuff over the years, Joe, and I'm going to turn it over to you. I may heckle you or ask some questions as we as you go, but but this is your show from here now. Andrea, thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for allowing me to hang out with you for a little bit today to talk about an area of fundraising that is so often overlooked many times misunderstood, especially by some leadership and board members, but continues to grow in importance and value. And that is, as Andrea said, plan giving. And uh, I've been doing this a long time for organizations of all shapes and sizes. One of the challenges as a speaker in fundraising is that everyone's at a different level. And what am I gonna tell you that you don't already know? So uh, no matter where you are, whether you have a program, you don't have a program, Uh, I'm going to give you some very, very specific tactical ideas uh, to help you get to the next level. And think of this as a a checklist. Plan giving can be very or seem to be very overwhelming for people. That's the biggest challenge as plan giving consultants. uh, And I, uh, some of my colleagues who, some of my friendly competitors, we get together and we talk. And one of the common things is people say, you know what, I'm just too busy. I have uh, this going on. I'm down, especially nowadays, I'm down two staff people and I just can't get to it. Uh, So what I've done, what we've done and tested it over the years is to lay it out into a simple seven steps. These are the seven steps. Don't don't feel overwhelmed. And you can be at any level as long as you're thinking about working on and incorporating these seven steps. Like any presentation for all of us, any form of communication, we should always start with why, as thought leader Simon Sinek teaches us. Why the wealth transfer, we've been talking about that for 20 years. Wealth transfer, it's happening now to the baby boomers where the bulk of our uh, charitable dollars are coming from. And so now is the time. I know it sounds like a, a cheerleader, but like I am a cheerleader for playing a bit. Now is the time to be taking action because of the greatest wealth transfer. The second reality is that the bulk of your donors, our donors' wealth is not in their wallets or checkbooks. It's in their assets, non-cash gifts. So if you are not incorporating non-cash gifts in your daily conversations, then you are potentially missing out on 80 to 90% of your donors' 
capacity to give. I'm not really big on research or, or, or stats. Not that that's not important. I'm into tactical and practical. What, what stats are, are really going to, rather than just look at a stat and say, oh, that's interesting. Let me get back to my job here. <laughs> what stats are really going to motivate me to take action, to pick up the phone, as Andrea said, and call people. Call people that are not expecting my call and have this plan giving conversation. So a big, big one, and, and you probably have seen this wonderful, the wonderful Penelope Burke out of Canada. Uh, and her great book, Donor-Centric Fundraising. Highly recommend that book. She's a researcher, Decima Research. And one of the big, big uh, stats that I took away from her years ago was that 34% of the donors they surveyed said they would indeed be open to a conversation with their favorite charities about plan giving. So again, as someone that picks up the phone, knowing that for every 10 loyal donors I call, three to four, or maybe two to three would be open to a conversation. Man, that gets me motivated. And I know initially it's a numbers game. We talk about relationships, yes, but early on it's a numbers game until I can find those people that are open to maybe developing a, a deeper relationship. Now, the other part of that is sadly only 17% of those surveyed said that the organization even bothered to ask them. We're not asking enough. And that's one of my goals is uh, in the work I do, number one is to get you to think in different ways and uh, to separate you from much of your competition. I, I assure you that most fundraisers out there are not bringing up these options for their donors and donors want options. And if you are including them in your bag of tricks, in your toolkit, so to speak, I promise you, you're separating yourself from competing nonprofits that are competing for your donors' attention and for their charitable dollars. If you did nothing else, and I'm not suggesting you do this, but so often I hear from people that tell me we're not ready for plan giving yet. Well, I just told you, now is the time. If you did nothing else, but with every donor you interacted and asked them, will you make us a beneficiary of your will or retirement plan? Here's our legal name and our tax ID number. At the very, very, very minimum, if you just did that, I promise you, you'd be closing substantially more plan gifts. Now, there's more to it than that, and I'm not suggesting that that's all you need to do, of course, because uh, I'm going to go through the seven points right now. But my, to, I'm exaggerating this to make a point that if you did nothing else, if I, if I had my 16-year-old nephew pick up the phone and start calling loyal donors, good kid, nice kid, and he just said, thank you, Andrea, thank you so much for being such a loyal donor. Why are you so loyal? Gee, have you ever thought about putting us in your will? Here's our legal name and tax ID number. Daniel could, I promise you, Daniel could close plan gifts over the phone. Again, I'm exaggerating to make a point that it doesn't have to always be this big, complicated, oh my gosh, Joe, this is great. You don't understand. It's just me. I'm one person. Yeah, but if you include this in your everyday, part of your everyday habits and part of your everyday interaction with donors, it's not extra work. So number one, uh, and I encourage you guys to take notes going through this quickly. And I, my guarantee with all my audiences, if, if I go over something too fast and you want to reconnect with me offline or through Andrea and the wonderful team there, we'll make sure you get your questions answered.
So the first thing is the back office, what I call the boring but important uh, stuff, and that is infrastructure. Are we ready? Do we have everything in place to pursue and steward these donors in a fiscally responsible and donor friendly way. And so some of the things that you should be thinking about for infrastructure are, do we have goals? Do we have plan giving goals? There are behavior goals and result goals. So a behavior goal could be my goal is to have uh, to talk to 10 donors this month about plan gift options. It might just be to say, hey, have you ever thought about or have you included us in your will? A result goal would be we have a goal this year that uh, we want to add, uh, maybe we're starting a legacy society or we have one. We want to add 10 members this year. Like anything else, we need written goals, just like in our capital campaign, right? The big difference is, of course, with the campaign is there's a sense of urgency uh, and sometimes planned gifts don't seem urgent. But certainly if we are and we should be incorporating these into our campaign, uh, then we should be having these very specific goals and any frontline fundraiser that's interacting with donors should have plan giving metrics. They can be different. It could be your annual fund person. Certainly that would be, those goals would be different than let's say a major a director of major gifts or a director of capital gifts, but everybody really should have some type of behavior or end or result goals. Gift acceptance policies, uh, you can go online and just Google gift acceptance policies and you'll come up with a ton of them. Of, uh, most people I work with initially tell me we, we're all set. And I say, OK, send me your gift acceptance policy. And they're generally one page. It's not enough. I'm not into making it 50 or 100 pages, but there's a lot involved. Are we going to take all types of life insurance gifts? Are we going to take a property that somebody has in the middle of somewhere in the middle of rural Pennsylvania that maybe is near a coal mine. Do we want that? How do we accept it or how do we not accept it and not upset and alienate the donor? So those are the importance of gift acceptance policies. Gift counting, how are we counting? Are we recognizing plan giving donors at the same level that we're recognizing major gift donors? If a donor documents and quantifies their plan gift, I'm going to count them in the campaign, even though they may decide 30 years from now that uh, their circumstances have changed and we're not going to get the gift. Right. So that's a conversation that, that could be a whole nother conversation. A lot of these can. But how are we do we have a gift counting policy that stewards and uh, cultivates and makes the donor feel good about their giving, their plan giving? And also equally important is to make sure the our fundraisers understand what we're going to count and what we're not going to count so that we don't get a, a excited fundraiser come to us and say, guess what? I had this. Uh, I just got a $500,000 life insurance policy. Can I count that towards my goal this year? Well, no, you can't because it's not paid up. So, I mean, as an example, right? So gift counting is important for the donor and to keep are major gift officers motivated or, or uh, giving officers motivated? Uh, the next category. Is this point two? Yes, point two. Thank you. I'm trying to take notes, so you can tell me tell me when you when you're coming to the to number two. Okay, number two. Great. Is the board that's B O A R D, not B O R E D? Board <laughs> board strategy, right? 
crucial, very, very critical in all of this. Look, if the board's not into it, I'm, per, I'm pursuing it anyway, but it, it would really help me if the board got behind this and, and helped me. Uh, and that's my opinion. I would, if I was with an organization, the board didn't care about it, I'd be pursuing it anyway, but it would be great to have them. So how do I get them to participate, to be involved, to actually make, hopefully make a plan gift? Is you need to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every board member. And one of the things you can do very simply is make up an Excel spreadsheet of all your board members and just have different columns and keep track of, okay, let's say we have 14 board members. Uh, Mary Smith, did I meet with Mary Smith to talk about plan giving? What's the likelihood that she's going to make a plan gift? And just keep track of that throughout the year. Do, have I met with every uh, board member to have this conversation? So that's the big one. You can have a have someone do a board presentation, which is good. Nothing takes the place of one on one. Uh, but uh, certainly having a uh, board presentation does help. And so we what do we want them to do? We want them to support this initiative. We want them to hopefully make a plan gift. And with the board, I find that it's really important to stress to them, this does not have to be a huge commitment. You could do something as little as make us a beneficiary, a 10% beneficiary of maybe one of your life insurance policies, paid up life insurance policy. Or you can make us a 5% beneficiary of your retirement plan. It doesn't have to be this huge commitment because one of the biggest concerns that we hear from all donors is, I wanna provide for my kids and my grandkids and my retirement. And yes, you should. My first response is you should do that. But if you really, really want to have a bigger impact, if you really, really want to support the work we're doing and the people we serve, chances are you can do all that, accomplish your personal goals and have a bigger impact. And it doesn't always have to be uh, coming out of your heirs' uh, pockets. So number three, Andrea, is prospect strategy. Now, I do believe and I do preach that everyone is potentially a plan giving donor, every one of your donors, but some are more likely than others. So we know that the long term donors, those donors that have been uh, involved with us that are volunteering, that are giving at any level, those donors that don't have children, research confirms. I can say anecdotally, but I can back it up with real research, current research that you, your donors that do, that were never married or that and or don't have kids are our best prospects. Uh, we got a call one of the organizations that I fundraised for. I got a call last week and they're not even a donor. And she said, I love what you guys are doing. You're doing such important work. My husband and I don't have kids. We want to leave you our entire state. That doesn't happen every day. I'm not trying to overpromise, but those are our ideal donors. So always be thinking about, always be qualifying our donors to see what category are they in. I know that everybody could be a plan giving donor, but maybe I don't have the time and resource to call everyone. So as I'm interacting, looking, identifying those loyal donors, those donors, ideally, they don't have children or were never married, generally really good prospects. And then I want to start as far as my in my qualifying prospect. And this, what I'm going to tell you now, goes with any type of giving. 
annual giving, uh, leadership giving, major giving, plan giving, capital giving. I use a simple system, the ABC system. And so I'm always thinking about what category is this donor in? And I'll even ask them. I might say, if I'm really friendly with the donor, can I do a, a quick little survey to see if you're an A, B, or C donor? Uh, C donors kind of give when they want. We're not really in their top five favorite charities, but they'll throw us a check once in a while. B donors uh, like us may be, doing, may be open to doing more, but just not, not the right time to do that. And then A donors are like, yeah, bring it on. I love you guys. If I can afford it, if I if it works, I'll do whatever. <laughs> I'll meet with you. I'll talk about the campaign. I'll sit on a committee. I'll consider a planned gift, a non-cash gift, right? So always trying to figure out where are either asking directly or through the conversation. Is this an A, B, or C donor? And where am I spending my time? Ideally, I should be spending most of my time with the A donors. I see lots of things coming in here. We'll look forward to uh, answering all your questions. So here's an action step. Go through your database. Start with 10, 25, 50, whatever number makes sense for you. Donors that kind of fit this profile. And first ask yourself and your colleagues, have we ever talked to these donors about non-cash gifts? And then just start picking up the phone and calling these people. It's not rocket surgery, as I like to say, it, but it, it's, it's being acutely aware of, have we had these conversations with these people? And reviewing that list on a regular basis. And then like I, I Andrea? Yes, I just, I, I'm sure that people will appreciate it, Joe. If you just once or twice say when you pick up the phone to call one of these people who hasn't been called, what would you say? <laughs> sure. And I do it. I do. I've been doing you it do today it all the time. It's easy for you and not easy for everyone else. So just. Sure. OK. Hi, Andrea. This is Joe at ABC Charity. I am called. Am I, first of all, I'll say, am I catching you in the middle of something urgent? That's from Chris Voss, V-O-S-S. -S. Google him sometime. Fascinating guy. Uh, and so most people say no. I'll say I am calling because you are a loyal donor. And I'm calling to say thank you. And maybe nobody's picked up the phone to say thank you. Can I ask you why? Why do you care so much? So thank you. Why do you care? And then just let the conversation flow and try to keep them on the phone and keep asking the questions that we ask. And then for many donors, uh, I have a particular client, Salesian Missions, been working with them for six years. We have probably half a million active donors, so more than we can ever get to. So I'm making the ask, if they're, if, if they're, we're cooking on all, uh, whatever the expression is, if we're whatever, on all cylinders and they're loving it and they're saying, oh my gosh, Salesian Missions, uh, this is the history I have with them. I was a missionary or whatever. Love you guys. Love the work you're doing. I will ask. I know this is a question out of left field. I don't suppose you ever considered including us in your estate plans, either your will or retirement plan. Or how would you feel about a conversation around that? Prepping it with, I know this is a question out of left field. It's like we're the reality. It's like the uh, elephant in the room is I know this is this is a crazy question, but have you ever thought about it? And especially older donors that love us and are loyal, 
20, again, back to uh, Penelope's research, 20, uh, two to three out of 10 will say, either I thought about it or I've already done something you guys never asked, which is common. So it, it's that simple. It's thank you, why, get them talking. They're really engaged, pop the question. Or is this too early? I know we just met over the phone. Would I be crazy to ask you if you'd be open to a conversation about other ways to support our work, some of which cost you nothing now? <laughs> Joe, so, we need to can that can that little speech so we can listen to it again and again. But that's terrific. So, OK, point number four. Number four, donor work. Uh Oh, you mean we actually have to work with donors? Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of quick things around that, as I mentioned, really highly recommend Everybody has uh, plan giving metrics that's that's interacting with donors. Uh, you don't need to be an expert. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm not an I'm not an expert. People call me an expert. I'm not. I'm not a tax guy. Uh, but I, despite not really being very very fluent with the tax laws, I still somehow managed to do do this work and close cliff close plan gifts. What a concept! Uh, but it's really making it plan gifts in your toolkit. I have it here. I'm not going to sabotage outright gifts. Really important. Uh, there's a wonderful researcher in our plan giving space, Russell James, and he he talks about for major gift or capital gift donors that clearly have the capacity to write us a check, a big check. I don't want to sabotage that by saying, oh, why don't you just put us in your will instead? No, we don't want to do that. So, but it's in my toolkit. And if I need to pull that out, to help the donor accomplish their goals, I'm going to do that. But I may not, well, I would never lead with a gift, which is a, which is another thing I see sometimes people get excited about this. It's, oh, let's go out and promote charitable gift annuities. Okay, that's fine, but let's have it in our toolkit. And if it's appropriate, then pull out that tool if and when the donor needs that. So uh, it's really about offering, like I said before, offering donors options. You may be tired, Gary, you may be tired of us coming to you constantly and saying, Gary, can you write us a check? Can you write us a check? Okay, it's like at some point, Gary's gonna say, what else you got? Well, we have all these other options, non-cash options that maybe you never thought about and maybe we forget to mention to you. And so if you like, if it's, if it's helpful, I can kind of walk you through these options, but I need to ask you some questions. And so I like to think of myself, sometimes I use metaphors all the time. Sometimes I'm a Sherpa and I am, I have all these tools on my back, so to speak, or in my toolkit. And I am helping the donor, the donor that wants help. Not every donor does, of course, but those that are open to it say, let me be your guide. L help me understand what you're trying to accomplish for yourself, for your retirement, for your family. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a tax person, not a finance person, but just, you know, high level questions. And it could be as simple as, well, gee, Joe, I just retired. And for the first time ever, or first time in 40 years, I'm not going to get a paycheck. And that's really weird. And I'm not really feeling very rich right now, but I still want to support you guys. Okay. I don't need to be an estate planner or a financial planner or an accountant to know that they could put us in their will or a beneficiary of the retirement plan. And that's not affecting their current cash flow. So giving you simple, quick examples here. So uh, suggestion, whatever the metaphor works for you. Sometimes I'll think of myself as a contractor and I have my toolkit. 
And again, for those donors that are open to having deeper conversations, open to answering questions, being more thoughtful in the way they're giving, and that's uh, one of the things I will use on a voicemail or email when I am calling donors, is I work with donors who want to be more thoughtful and strategic in the way they make their gifts. And this is why I'm calling, to thank you and to see if you'd be open to exploring other ways. Number five, messaging. I used to call this marketing, but then people say, well, I'm not a marketing. We have a marketing person. I'm not marketing. Well, you know what? It's messaging. We're all messaging. How are we messaging these options to our donors? And so there's a, a very uh, f- a common phrase that we, metaphor that we use here uh, in our work, and, and that's above the line and below the line. And uh, below the line is basically how to make a plan gift. It's the plan giving options, it's tax laws, it's the stuff that freaks some people out and prevents them from ever even bringing it up. And then above the line is the more emotional, the aspirations of the donors, the the donors need, uh, the donors vision for the work we're doing and the impact and, and the stories, the impact stories, that's all above the line. And I firmly believe that we should be spending as much time above the line as we can. Uh, and as long as we can with the donor. So getting the donor, tell me more about that. Why do you care so much? What, what would be your vision? All, the, all those great questions that you guys are asking. And then at some point, like I do on my phone calls, how would you feel around a conversation about whatever it is? And, and then we go below the line there. I mean, at that point, after we've established and then in our messaging in print and on our website, I believe that most of the 80 to 90 percent of our messaging should be above the line. Here's how you benefit from these non-cash gifts. Here's the impact you're having on the people we serve. And oh, by the way, here's a couple of quick ways that you can do that. Right. So mostly above the line and then the below the line is almost an afterthought. So I highly recommend that you have at least a one page plan giving marketing plan. You should be messaging plan giving in all your interactions on your email signature. Uh, you should have uh, if you have content on your website, which you should have something uh, you can put that in your email signature with a hyperlink. Make a gift, have a bigger impact or make a gift that costs you nothing. Now, click here, drive them to the website. But have a one-page plan. It could be so, so simple. Uh, it could be why. Why do we want to do this? Why would donors care about this? Who, who, are we, who are our best plan-giving prospects? What are we going to talk about throughout the year? And then when? And let's see, number six. All right, making progress, Andrea. Yes, I'm Is, keeping up with you. Ooh, yeah. Is stewardship. And what does that mean? Stewardship is not just managing. Like we use, I just came up with this recently. Uh, uh, donor, we talk about donor relationship management and maybe I'm nitpicking, but for me, it's like, yeah, some donors I just want to manage. And I've alluded to this so far today is the reality is not every donor wants to have a relationship with us. Even though we talk about that all the time, let's build relationships with donors. Well, some don't want some. We all have those donors that might say, yeah, what do you got? Let's go. Oh, you want me to write your check? So it's hard to develop a relationship with those folks. But let's let's meet them where they want to be met and 
treat them the way that we want to be treated. At the same time, I'm looking for the donors that say, yeah, uh, let's not just manage a relationship. What if we can grow it? What if we can get them doing things they never thought possible and feeling really good about it? So stewardship is thanking, of course, in a personal prompt way. It's recognizing them and it's cultivating them. And if you have plan giving donors now, I hope you are personally reaching out to them at least twice a year. Number one is to thank them, make sure that they're happy, feeling good about being a plan giving donor. Number two is if they have not documented their intention to see if they would feel good about doing that now, no pressure, you need to feel good about this, Miss Donor. And if they have documented or not, would they consider increasing that intention? I did that with one of my alma maters. I initially put them in a, a spare uh, IRA that I have. I don't really use it anymore. And then I had a life triggering event, a, a death of a, a family member who was also an alum of the college, my sister. And so we went from 10% beneficiary of that uh, IRA. And then five years later to giving them the whole thing and endowing a scholarship. So the point around that is that first gift intention, plan gift intention does not have to be the last. We wouldn't go, hopefully we wouldn't go to an annual fund or a major gift donor, ask for one gift and never talk to them again. So it is with plan giving. We need to think about, okay, which one, which of these donors in our legacy society would be open at some point to doing more, to documenting, to increasing their intention. And make sure, even if it's a simple spreadsheet, that you have a, 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 sorry, a spreadsheet of all your current plan giving donors and you have columns for all these. Are they documented? Yes or no? Is it quantified? Yes or no? Do we think, or has the donor uh, given us some indication that they might be open to increasing that intention over time and using that, checking that every twice a year or so, where are we? And if these are, these are donors that are assigned to other gift officers, sitting down with those gift officers and going through the list on a regular basis. And then finally, number seven is, uh, I'd like to talk about training. Uh, a couple thoughts around training gift officers. And again, a lot of this stuff works for all fundraising, not just plan giving. But one of my favorite expressions, now we do, I, I make part of my living uh, training gift officers. And like every industry, nonprofit, every sector, most organizations don't spend a lot of money and time training people. Uh, and so one of my favorite expressions is training what if we spend money on training our gift officers and they leave? And the response is, well, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> right. So what if they stay and they're not trained? And we know that the average gift officer leaves 18 months after they started a nonprofit. That's crazy. I'm not saying training is all is all the answers, but as part of your plan and your checklist, do we have ongoing, consistent training? Not just, hey, let's send this these people to a seminar once a year, AFP or wherever. Of course, that's great. I don't. That's good. I think you need. I think everybody. We all need more. We need ongoing training. We need frequency. 
These are much of this is about building new habits and confidence, especially around playing giving. It's repetition, just like anything else. If you are learning, to, uh, pickleball is all the rage, all the rage right now. Everybody's picking up pickleball or learning an instrument. You're practicing the same things over and over and over. Repetition until it becomes until that I can wake you up from a sound sleep at three o'clock in the morning and say, Andrea, why would somebody want to include you in their estate plans? Right. And you need to be able to answer that. So that's repetition of constantly practicing and practicing. Training is also testing. I learned something new. This guy, this, this Paisan from Philadelphia that I saw on Andrea's workshop today gave me some ideas. Let me go out and test it. I'm, I'm, and some of the specific examples I'm giving you are in my style. And, and we all have different styles. So you need to test it in your style and see if it works and see what to keep and, and see what to replace with something else. If you do any type of training and you're responsible for it, I highly recommend that you survey the participants ahead of time, especially if you're managing gift officers. A very simple, effective thing we do it with all our training clients is we send out a survey to the gift officers. And one of the questions for plan giving is, um, what would you need to do more with plan giving? And some of the, the uh, options are, I need to feel more comfortable about the gift options. It might be nothing, I'm doing all I can. Uh, and the, another one is, well, I'm not incentivized to talk about plan gifts. And so I always share that with the, uh, the VP of development so they can see what, how their gift officers really feel about uh, plan giving and, and, and their fundraising. It was a pleasure to have you last time. It was a pleasure to have you this time. You are just, you have a wonderful way of, of explaining things and talking about things that is clear and practical and understandable. And I, my, I enjoy it and always learn from you. For anyone who is thinking about a capital campaign, if you want to sign up for a strategy session with Amy or me or some people on our team, just go to capitalcampaigntoolkit.com and you will find a place somewhere there to sign up for a strategy session. We would love to talk to you about your campaign. My wonderful partner, Amy Eisenstein, will be back joining me again next week at this time. Thank you for joining us, Joe. We so appreciate you. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. God bless. Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, go to capitalcampaigntoolkit.com. This podcast is recorded on a live webinar every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join the live sessions and get your questions answered by signing up today at ToolkitTalks.com. And please like, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform.